0: Well, we've been in this series on the book of Revelation, and uh, we were, in part, we're in part nine tonight. But if you remember, in part eight, we went over chapter seven. We're moving now into chapter eight, and this is part nine of the series. The, the title of this message tonight, The Sound of Judgment. The Sound of Judgment. In July of 1976, Israeli commandos made a daring raid at an airport in Uganda freeing 103 Jewish hostages yet as successful as the hostage rescue went there were still three hostages were killed as the commandos entered the terminal they shouted in Hebrew get down intentionally knowing that the captors did not speak Hebrew only the Jewish hostages understood hit the floor While the kid numbers were left standing. However, two of the hostages hesitated and a third actually stood up instead of getting down. And they were killed with the rest of the the, uh, captors. Had the captives obeyed the soldiers command, they would have been freed with the rest. And we see in this example, salvation is open to all. But may, we must ha- heed the command of Jesus and repent, making him Savior and Lord of all. Otherwise, we will perish with the judgments meant for his enemies. That is the exact picture we see where God, uh, soul of the world, they sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God is not willing that any should perish but all have eternal life. He doesn't want it. He doesn't will it. He doesn't want it. And so it's important that we learn to heed God's Word, to listen to His voice, to heed His commands, um, so that we are not like those who hesitated for a moment or, in reverse order, completely disobeyed the command and lost their lives because of it. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 8, the first five verses. And it says, and, and I'm going to give a little bit of time for you to find it if you've got your Bibles or your iPhone app. Or your phone app. Um, I was looking at some of those memes on Facebook. And there's one that showed it said something about the preacher. This is the look you get on your face when the preacher says this is the text. And then he immediately starts reading it. So if you're needing to turn there. But Revelation chapter 8 verses 1 through 5. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and, er, and an earthquake. This shattering silence invades heaven at the opening of this last seal and the seventh seal. and everything in heaven becomes absolutely still, and heaven becomes deathly silent. Can you imagine the magnitude of that for of, for heaven? We've read about the praises and the constant um, bowing down at the creatures and the, and the saints and this praise that goes on and the worship of God that goes on consistently for all eternity. But yet, at this moment, for that 30 minutes, all will remain silent. Silence is pretty powerful. Those of you that took Dave Ramsey Financial piece, he said when you're trying to get a bargain or you're dealing with someone bargaining, one of the most powerful tools is Silence. The car dealer says, well, I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can make that kind of deal. And you just get silent for a while and look at them, shaking your head. It could make someone nervous. Have you ever been in that moment where you said something and the person just goes silent on you and you're wondering, what are they thinking? Especially when it's a boss or someone that has some authority over you, right? You're sitting in an eval and your boss says something and you say something back and all of a sudden they're just silent looking at you. Like, is that what you have to say? What could possibly silence heaven? It's nothing less than the seriousness and the certainty of God's judgment and wrath that are about to be poured out. This morning, uh, I shouldn't tell my boys, but so there has been a consistent message I've sent my boys about some bicycles. Now, they got bicycles one year for birthday or Christmas, and we told them, You know, learned to ride it, and I wanted them to learn without the training wheels. And they refused to try. They just were afraid to fall down. I said, you're going to fall down, but then you're going to be glad you learned. You know, that's just part of it. And so finally, I took the training wheels off, and we got rid of them. And I said, well, the bikes will sit there if you're not willing to learn. And they did sit there for well over a year and a half. They sat there. They moved with us and sat there. And all of a sudden, there was this, hey, Dad, can you put air in the tires, and can you you know, oil the chains up and get them going again. So we did, and all of a sudden, within a day, they're riding those things like maniacs all over the rough ground. Some of you that have been where we live, you know that's not the uh, ideal place for riding bicycles, but they do. But I kept telling them, they kept leaving them out in the driveway, or one time left them out where if we'd back the car out, we'd back over them. Kept telling them, you got to put them away. you got to take care of your stuff. I borrowed my dad's tractor, one day I almost ran over one with the tractor, and then... Another day with my old '79 truck, and I'm just constant. So like I said, "You've got to, you've got to obey. You got to listen. You know this is going to come to bite you." Today, as I'm leaving to come to church this morning, one of my boys outside, and I turned the corner and backed up just like normal. And all of a sudden, it felt like I had a tire came off the rim, it was and I hear one of them stop, Dad, stop. Well, I panicked, thinking maybe I'd ran over one of my children. So the adrenaline and everything went through the roof. I jump out to see one of the bikes mangled underneath the, the van and in a spot where I had to, I was all cleaned up, and by then I'm sweaty because I'm trying to get this thing out, and it's ruined. And I like back inside. So I went in, and we had a come-to-Jesus meeting with the two of them. You know, I kept telling you this was going to happen. And you know, it's an interesting thing, when the boys see a certain level of frustration with me or disappointment, or upset, they don't say a peep dead silence now every day kind of you need to do this i know dad i'm doing it and there's a response right His response. but when when you get that level of judgment is getting handed down all of a sudden there's nothing to be said and so it's no surprise looking at uh, the heavenly father as this awesome judge the supreme authority over everything created he's always been there's never been a beginning to him that when the judgment is ready poured out there is 30 minutes of dead silence It's just like all the children and all the creation says, uh-oh, we knew this was coming, and here it comes. And this isn't even the ones that the judgment is being poured out on. The magnitude, the intenseness of the judgment of God has silenced those who are safe from it. It should give us a clue as to the intenseness of the judgment that's going to get poured out on those who aren't safe. It would seem as if the harshness and horror of the impending judgment has silenced all voices and the once joyous sounds of praise that filled the heavens and God's throne room are now silent in complete suspense and anticipation. A hushed expectancy hangs over the heaven, making the judgments that are to come much more ominous. We see the same description given by the prophet Zephaniah in Zephaniah 1 verse 7. In the ESV it says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Now, I don't watch scary movies anymore. I've never been much for the horror movies, but I definitely don't watch them now and don't have any care to. I think you shouldn't fill your minds with those things and treat fear and evil as entertainment. Just a little sidebar there. That's free. But... (laughs) But I'm going to tell you that you watch most of them, and what makes them intense is there's always a little bit of silence before the evil comes on scene, before the terror comes on scene, right? There's, there's the lady who doesn't get it. Why are you on the phone talking to the guy who's a bad guy? Call the police. Don't go outside. Why are you going outside? Don't run in the dark. Don't run in the woods. I mean, they always do the opposite, right, what they should to be silent is to show the proper respect and honor due the Lord who is the righteous and holy judge. At this time, the children of Israel were in the same condition as those who are, living, uh, who are alive during the time of the Great Tribulation in that passage in Zephaniah 1.7. They're in that same kind of time. They have no interest in following the Lord. They've abandoned His will, His law, and, and w- were refusing to seek or inquire of Him. They reverted back to the ancient religions and superstitions, and they brought into their homes false gods. And if I had time tonight, I've been doing some studying on some of the things that are happening even in the church today, in the different churches and denominations and different religions. And you might be surprised, no, there are ties to some of the things, our worship practices, even in evangelical churches now, that are tied to old pagan worship and the pagan way of doing things. We have to be very cautious that we don't abandon true relationship and experience with God for emotion and sensationalism, and what feels good must be God. Today, people are following the same pattern, outlawing God from all venues of life, and instead they're making the Antichrist their God and following his dictates and religion. We're seeing the groundwork being laid for this very thing as God is being outlawed in the very land where religious freedom is lauded and proclaimed. We've got to understand that these things we're seeing, and, and you know, I can't tell you how much I see on the Facebook news, which is a lot of that is just uh, hooey trying to get a response. I think most of our hate and things going on in the world is being stirred up by false, false news. But our, our children are prohibited from talking about God in our classrooms, all the while false gods and religions are promoted. Also, in the name of tolerance, sharing one's faith in Jesus Christ will bring discipline or even dismissal. Recently, an Air Force, uh, uh, a, a retired Air Force uh, guy, was, had a, a talent for doing um, a ceremony for folding of a flag, and at uh, the request of a man who was retiring from the Air Force, He um, stood to do this, and because it mentioned God, he was forcibly escorted away from the premises. Christianity is no longer tolerated in today's anti-Christian society. Old religions and religious practices are making a huge comeback under the name of New Age, or what some call being spiritual. There is a whole mindset of, of denominations and beliefs that they can command God. Uh, that they, the way they speak and, and react and, and teach about God is as if the man himself, the creation, has the power to command God. Nowhere in Scripture are we ever given the right to command God or the ability to command God. We can believe in His promises. We can, we can stand on His promises. But in the end, we are subject to His power, not Him to ours. The sad thing is that such practices are making their way into the church. In our desire to see God move, we use man's technology and psychological techniques to to get people worked up in a religious fever. Positive confession and visualizations and Eastern meditation techniques are now being taught. I mentioned before that there's getting ready to be a conference. I I think it's coming up in a few months in Siloam Springs that is, is solely focused on mysticism. In fact, they don't even hide it. It's evangelicals that are talking about the mystic God and bringing in mystic practices and saying that that is okay. And the same folks are teaching there's no such thing as hell or heaven and no second coming. It's, it's that we are the second coming. And there's all kinds of heresy and false teachings being wrapped up in this, uh, this little package and, and trying to deliver to the church, say, you've had it wrong all along. The, the Bible is not what you think it is. So the question becomes, who's moving—God or man? When God does move, it'll be in His time, not ours, and it'll be for the sake of His holy name, a name we have defiled. The Lord said, "I do not do this for your sake." In Ezekiel 36:22, it says, "O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went." And so there's this call to utter and complete silence before a holy and righteous God. I believe part of our problem sometimes, even as the, the well intentioned, good hearted, chasing after God believer, sometimes we just talk too much. Sometimes we don't know what, the, we don't have the art of being able to be silent before the Lord and try to hear his voice. We're one to always do the, putting, doing the input and the questions and the asking. But God says this is a relationship. It means you should be able to close the yapper and listen. Amos 5.13, Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. And we need to stop our rationalizations and excuses because Habakkuk 22, verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. So John now sees before God's throne seven angels holding seven trumpets. And the sound of the trumpet played a major role in Israel's national life and with God's economy. They were used in religious ceremonies to assemble the people on the Sabbath and uh, special feast days. In fact, many of you know that one of the seven feasts of Israel is called the Feast of Trumpets. It's also the sound of the trumpet that gathered the people to war, and at the Battle of Jericho was the weapon God used to bring down the walls. You remember that? That they marched around the walls, and God told them at a certain point to blow of the trumpet and to shout, and the walls came tumbling down. So, the trumpet, this instrument, is very representative of uh, the journey of the children of Israel, God's people, and of his victory over the enemy. The trumpet was also used to direct the Israelites' movements through their journey through the wilderness. So we know and understand that the trumpet sound was important. And speaking about the inappropriate use of the gift of tongues in church and the need for correct interpretation, the Apostle Paul used the trumpet call to illustrate his point. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 8. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare themselves for battle? In other words, you can have the moving of the gift of the Spirit, but if you don't do it in the order in which it's given to us in Scripture that with the tongues of an there needs to be interpretation, then it's just like not having that trumpet to call people a battle. It's confusing. The prophet Joel tells us of their sound. Joel 2.1 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord's coming, for it is at hand. Make no mistake, these angels are not to sound these trumpets to warn off the dangers ahead or to announce Jesus' arrival. Rather, these trumpets will sound the Lord's judgment against all the earth and its inhabitants. Since Jennifer and I have moved out uh, next to my parents and we're near the airport, it is nice and quiet out there for the most part. But with the airport comes all kinds of interesting sounds. Most of the time, if it's an airplane, I can identify it as that. Or if it's a helicopter, I can identify it as that. But there's that every once in a while. I'll be laying in bed, and I hear this weird sound, and it's like there's some kind of instrument being played in a weird succession or something. And I always have that thought. is like, will we know right before we're caught up in the air, before we were raptured, will we hear a tr- that trumpet sound? Will we actually hear it ourselves? And I believe with Scripture, and we look at this, how instrumental it is, that, that it will be a physical sound that we will hear. These trumpets are not only instruments of God, He uses His judgment. It's also going to be the prayers of His people over these past millenniums that God uses uh, to start His judgments. Folks, when we pray for our nation, when we pray for people to be saved, when we pray against the enemies of God, that He will... Um, bring justice when we, when we pray those prayers and then we feel like things get worse. Take heed that the, that the Scripture is teaching us that those prayers are being offered up like incense before the Lord and that He still hears them and they aren't unanswered. It's just in His timing and in His way. They don't go unheard in heaven. Rather, they are mighty and powerful in the hands of God. If that's true, however, then why do most of us never experience their full potency? It may because it's not God's timing. It also could be because of our sins. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities have separated you from our God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. If this is how you're feeling, that your prayers are going unanswered, that your prayers are going unheard, maybe you need to take an accounting of your life like King David when he prayed this. He prayed this in Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Church, we've got to be sensitive to the fact that we can often get it wrong. That while we think everything's good in our lives, we're often the ones that may think that and others may see something different. God is the one that's all-knowing and when you put yourself in his hands with prayers like that God please test me show me make make it obvious to me correct me if I need correction that's a scary prayer but it's a good one and I have prayed it many times I'm about to deal with a difficult situation with someone and I'm like I I hope I'm not wrong with this because I don't want to lose a brother or sister I don't want to cause a rift but I ask God Correct me before I get there, please. If I'm wrong, if my heart's wrong about this, if I'm not seeing this the way you see it, correct me, guide me. Sometimes it can be resentment resentment and bitterness over past hurts we're hanging on to. I mentioned this in some past messages. And I want to reiterate this, that if there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness over past hurts, we can begin to start rationalizing our sin because we aren't letting go of Those hurts. Some may still rationalize their drug use while saying they're a believer. And I'm not just talking about street drugs. We can abuse some. uh, Some are addicted to prescription drugs as well. Are, Are we still meddling in pornography or involved in any secret immoral behavior? Men and women alike, give your spouse access to your phone and every part of it. Let them help keep you accountable. Let them see everything you do on that phone. I know in our society we catch ourselves a lot. You know, you go home and you've had time with the kids, you've had a little time with the spouse, and then all of a sudden you veg out and there's just that glow off the face, right? And the thumbs and the fingers going, right? You know, if you aren't careful, though, when that becomes so comfortable that no one's ever talking about what's going on in that phone, that's your own private world, then it can begin to lead you into things that you shouldn't be in because you lose the accountability. Offer that up to your spouse, to your loved one. If you're single, uh, accountability partner. Let them, let them view um, uh, what you're seeing sometimes so that you're holding your, being held accountable. But by keeping our sins secret, we're keeping ourselves separate from God. And although, although he knows our prayers, he, do, he doesn't hear them if we're keeping a sin in our life because it tells us that that he doesn't allow himself to hear it, which means that he refuses to act upon them because that would be harmful to his combating or sinful lifestyle. It it reminds me similarly to when I've got onto my boys or, or Lily and I've said, I've said, you know, you can't do anything else until you've done this that I've asked you to do. Or you can't do anything else until you stop doing this thing I've asked you not to do. And they come back with something else. But dad can i do this i told you i'm not doing anything else you're not getting anything else until you do what i told them the punishment for my boys today they were saving their money they they were blessed during their birthdays and they're saving their money uh they wanted to buy either use four wheelers or buy one of those little um dune buggies that, that seat two and they'd share it but they they had this big aspiration and after the bike event today i said you know what your punishment is you can't spend your, your birthday money on what you want now. You know what? You're probably going to be buying a used bike to replace the one, and then we'll figure out the rest later. But, you know, and I left, and Jen said one of them went to the room and cried, and, and those, are hard, those are hard decisions to make as a dad, but they need to learn that if I was to give in, if I was not to hold them accountable when they've been told over and over and over, then pretty soon how do they view me as a leader in their life? I don't really have control over anything. I simply am just reacting to whatever they do and so they can change my actions by what they do. I have to stand firm in what I know is best for them no matter what they do. And this is what we see here with God. God is not that he's choosing not to answer our prayers just because he's selective in his answering, but sometimes the sin in our life, the disobedience, God says, I can't move on with you because there are things or roadblocks that are harmful to you that if I give in to that, you'll pretty soon believe that I'm a God who will just let you do whatever you want no matter how harmful it is to you and others. And so he stands his ground as a good heavenly father and says, I'm not going to hear it anymore until you get some things corrected. And the time will come when God will take all our prayers against the evil and injustice in the world and use them as an instrument of his justice and judgment. Look again what uh, John saw in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. And then he says that the angel hurled it on the earth. And there became pearls of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So literally, it's our prayers that God sends hurling back towards the earth. Isn't that a cool, isn't that cool imagery or cool reality? I won't say imagery. That when you're praying, God, when are you going to do something about ISIS and what they're doing to the Christians? When? How, God, please don't let this go on any longer, that that those are literally some of the, the weapons that God is going to hurl back on those who have not yet received the judgment of God and are, are there in their sins on that day of judgment. By mixing our prayers with the incense and fire from God's altar indicates God's holy wrath that's about to be poured out in response to these prayers. God's justice will be released through our prayers. I've been challenging myself, and, and because of that, on, on something I'm getting ready to tell you, then I have to assume that there are many other believers, if not all of us, that have the same challenge. We say we're a believer and that we believe in prayer, but do we pray? We can say we're a believer and that we believe in prayer, but do we hold fast, trusting that God is going to answer in His divine wisdom and way it needs to be answered? Let me tell you something, if you have a concern of your heart and you are, are um, blaming or, or, or slinging mud over it or, or just spewing the, the discontent, but yet you won't make it a matter of prayer, then God is not king over your problems. And furthermore, if you say you pray about it, you pray about it, but then you continue to do that same thing, then you are truly not allowing him to be king over the answer either. So we're we're tempted to stop praying, thinking God hasn't heard. Remember that God hears our prayers and is storing them up for the day of judgment. When our prayers hit the earth, violent storms and earthquakes will shake those who are here as a precursor of what is about to come and these seven angels, one by one, sound their trumpets, and God's wrath begins pouring out. I'll say, I'll give you one more example of what I see when God is taking these prayers. And sometimes we aren't even having to wait till the final judgment, till we see uh, the effects. Uh, I haven't even told Ken about this, but someone we both were a manager over at Walmart at one point that has consistently uh, um, not honored God in their life. But they have godly parents who have been praying for him, and I've never met the parents, but... Good old Facebook, Jennifer and I, who have prayed for this person, and I'm sure Ken has prayed for this person, saw the heart cry of a parent back after their child. Will you please listen? And then there's a slew of their friends that were all just bashing the parents for not loving them, and God's a God of love, and you're judgmental, and all this stuff. And it broke our hearts as we watched that parent was the only one seemed to be standing. So fired up, I sent a private message, taking a big risk to that parent, and I said, your prayers are being answered you may not see the outcome yet. You may not see the, the result in the way you think it should, but your prayer's being answered. And I gave the story since 2004, I've been in this person's life. I run into them consistently. They continually give my wife and I respect, even though they know that we totally disagree and do not stand for their lifestyle. God answers prayer. You don't always see what he's doing, but I sent this encouragement to the parents and said, he's answering. Let me tell you examples of what's happened in this person's life, your, your child's life at Walmart. In their, their work, God is proving himself to them, and they can't ignore it. And I'm to give examples about uh, miraculous healings. One that died of cancer, a believer, that's that, that shown the best example of living for Christ. I've ever seen someone as they're dying before this person. Example over example over years that this parent n- probably never knew was happening in that workplace of their child. But yet God was proving himself, and I said, it's your prayers is the reason I even came in contact with this person. I know it. I know the way He works. It's, it's your prayers is the reason these miracles are happening all around them and the other parents who have unbelieving children who are working there. And it was an awesome conversation back and forth with that parent that God is working on their behalf. So when your prayers hit the earth, violent storms and earthquakes will shake those who are here as a precursor of what, about, what is about to come And these seven angels, one by one, sound their trumpets, and God's wrath begins pouring out. I've experienced one time while I was at Walmart where I was outside of the workplace and praying for the people I was working with that God would use me to reach them. And with tears in my eyes, I was listening to worship and praying, just praying out loud in my car. And I look up in this plain old metal building. All of a sudden, now, the blurriness of my eyes, it's like I could see a steeple, like that was a church. And I walked out of that car accepting that today, whether it will be tomorrow or not, but today that was a church. And when I walked in, in the spiritual realm, I literally felt as if I could feel the ground shaking. I believe when we get in in a point of prayer and fervent prayer with the Lord over things that touch us deeply, that in the spiritual realm, literally the ground is shaking underneath our feet that Satan and the demons run and hide because something has happened in our connection with God that doesn't happen that often. We have touched an area of the throne of God where our prayers and the incense going up, God says, you know, there is a day coming when judgment is coming, but today I'm bringing it home right now because of your belief and your faith. We could go through many examples where God has answered in miraculous ways for those who had ex- uh, extraordinary faith. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, as we look at the first four trumpet judgments, there's always a tendency to explain them in terms that we can accept. Given our understanding of how this world operates and the technology we possess, and while God may use these things, he can actually do it in any way he wants. And that's why he's God and we're not. I had a college professor, Bible college professor, that at the beginning class would have us always repeat, there is a God and I am not he. There is a God and I am not he. Revelations 8:7, the first angel blew his trumpet and there followed, a hail, uh, followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The first trump- trumpet judgment is the burning of a third of the Earth's vegetation. Here we have hail, fire and blood all mixed together. And it's reminiscent of the seventh plague of Egypt, when we see that in the time of Pharaoh. And at Exodus 9:23, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Not only did this plague affect the plant life, but also killed man and beast that were exposed to it. Exodus 9.25, The hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Some see this first trumpet judgment as volcanic activity, as volcanic fireballs that fall like hail. Others see it as a meteorite shower that gets through our atmosphere and starts fires across one or more continents. Being mixed with blood may be the reddish color uh, as the ash and sunlight combine in either scenario. If you've seen uh, the huge forest fires sometimes in California when they're doing video coverage, the the sky literally looks like it turns fire red uh, with the smoke and and, uh, the reflection of the fire. But like in Egypt, it can also be those men and animals that are unable to find shelter during this time. The judgment is that a third of all trees will be destroyed and all the green grass, which would be those crops that have yet to be harvested. And so, while the judgment may be somewhat localized, the consequences will be global. We can see it just like in the United States. I mean, if the stock market's going to crash, then they're like, you better stockpile food, you better do this and that, because... The farmers, a lot of them now, I mean, they trade on the market, trade the grains, and any big financial impact there can affect the farmers. Um, It can affect production, uh, the money available to replant, uh, to harvest. So Revelations 8, 8 through 9, The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. This one, you know, maybe a decade ago, might have been a little harder for us to conceive until the tsunamis that we've witnessed because of earthquakes or or other things of that nature. We're we're getting a glimpse now in these end times of what nature can truly do when something gets a little off kilter, right? Mass destruction. Second trumpet judgment is destruction of a third of the sea life. Like the first judgment, there are several explanations. Some see it as symbolic language. But for myself, I can see two things, and I don't even have to be right about it. I just know that's true, and God's going to do it however he wants. But either a, a mountain burning like fire falling into the sea, destroying a third of all sea life and ships describes either an asteroid hit upon our oceans, or I can see a volcanic explosion like we've never seen before that literally breaks apart a volcano into the ocean and causes mass um, uh, catastrophes, a a death a third of the sea life and sinking a third of the ships. There are over 4,617 near-Earth asteroids that have so far been uh, catalogued. Some have predictable orbits while others do flybys. How many times in the last five years have we heard there's one that might hit Earth? Or, or it's coming and then uh, it misses us or it disintegrates or whatever because it's going to be God's timing. Over a 1,000 of them are considered to be larger than half a mile in dia- diameter. Can you imagine something a half a mile big hitting the earth? And there's a 1 in 10,000 chance that the earth could be struck by them. So, so much for friendly skies, right? If an asteroid of 600 feet were to strike the mid-Atlantic it would produce a tidal wave 600 feet high, and the heat from the rock would literally broil the fish. And the seismic waves would kill even more, and the tidal wave would sink every ship in the Atlantic. Then we, we move on again, uh, Revelation 8, 10 through 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So this third judgment results in the poisoning of a third of the fresh water. The term wormwood is taken from several species of plants found in the Palestine region that would have been a a bitter tasting, and it was a term used for divine punishment. Jeremiah 9.15 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them this people with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink. So there, again, can be a couple of possibilities, explanations. Um, um, uh, asteroid or meteor hitting upon the land. Uh, it would uh, send up uh, dust in the clouds and pollutants and easily poison a third of the earth's drinking water. It uh, could be in the form of acid rain or just mineral contents. But it's not, not my job here to try to explain away the natural ways in which God could make this happen. But we know that when it happens, it's, it's, um, it's going to take out uh, a lot of uh, people, a lot of uh, the resources. Another explanation could be nuclear strike. We see with North Korea and all the uh, fear of what's going on there, how we keep coming close to a, a global situation with the nuclear weapons. But what I find interesting, listen to this, the Russian word for Chernobyl, you know what Chernobyl was, what happened there, but the Russian word for Chernobyl means wormwood. Most of us probably remember the nuclear meltdown of Chernobyl, Chernobyl, the power plant in Russia. It sent a cloud of radi- radiation that spreads across Russia, northern Europe, and even reached the shores of North America. If the cloud had ran into a storm, the land and water would have become poisoned. The grace of God that kept that from being greater than it it could have been. But however it happens, a third of the world's drinking water will be destroyed. And then we move on to Revelations 8.12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining. And likewise, a third of the night. So this fourth trumpet judgment is a darkening of a third of the heavenly bodies. This has puzzled just about everyone. Um, Some feel it is a direct consequence of the first three trumpet judgments. But again, we have to remember that the Lord, the creator of the, the earth and the universe and all the stars and the heavenly bodies could devise a means by which this could take place. I don't have any uh, reasonable explanation. I'm not any smarter than those that are stumped by it as well. But the light we enjoy from the sun and moon has always been considered uh, as God's blessing and a declaration of his glory and faithfulness. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. The existence is vital to human life and existence. Many of our big movies on catastrophes, every once in a while they come out with one, and it's something about the world coming apart or asteroids or something hitting. And, and that's one of the scariest things that they put on that is because if the sun is snuffed out, guess what happens to the earth? Freezes, right? Fortunately, I live next to my dad that has enough firewood to supply half the county. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but what are you going to do in that situation? It's a scary experience because the sun is truly vital to our very existence and so lesting their impact on the earth would send shivers down those who are left the reduction of light by one third only serves to heighten the fear of what is about to happen as there remain three more trumpets to be sounded and then we move on Revelation eight thirteen. then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead whoa 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 to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets. That the three angels are about to blow. So you can consider the past, the past four judgments. Nothing to sneeze at. Obviously very intense. Uh, very horrible results and judgments. And the devastation that will arise. As a third of the vegetation. The sea life and the drinking water will be destroyed. And the light of the sun, moon and stars will be lessened by a third as well. Yet. As devastating as these are, the remaining three are especially grievous. So much so that God has reserved a woe for each one of them. Next week we'll look into the fifth and sixth trumpet judgment, but for now I'd like to share with you a story as we close. Many years ago a father and his daughter were walking through a Canadian prairie. In the distance they saw smoke rising and knew a prairie fire was moving their direction. The father knew it couldn't that they could not run it. So if they wanted to escape, they'd have to build a fire and burn a large patch of grass where they were. When the fire drew near, they stood in the middle of the the burned out section, and while the girl was frightened, the father reassured her saying, "The flames can't get to us here. We're standing where the fire has already burned." When the judgment of God comes to sweep across men and women into the fire of hell, there is one spot that's safe where the fire of God's wrath has already burned. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the wrath of God was poured out at Calvary on his son Jesus. Jesus took God's wrath upon him and so just as that father looked at that, that, that situation and said if we could burn out now a place of safety, then the fire won't reach us. What Jesus did, he took God's wrath upon him as he died for our sins, leaving ourselves just the right amount of space to be safe when God's judgment comes. That's something we should praise God about, that we don't have to endure the things that that are going to be poured out on those who, who have ignored him. You know, when you really take into consideration the severity of what those will endure in that time, it should drive us and compel us not to rejoice in their future suffering, but it drive and compel us to bring the gospel message to them even more so, that they might be spared. You know, there's folks that I know it can really get to us. I mean, they're so blatant in their sin, and so they're just so um, argumentative against God and God's people, accusatory. But it's like I've told my boys, any time you see someone acting nasty, just know that's an opportunity to help them because that's because they feel horrible about themselves. People that that act out in in those ways and evil its because they are hollow, empty, hurting, and destitute inside. And either we're going to believe that we as the children of God have the true gift of peace, the gospel, a rescue message, a salvation message, We have to stand in the spot as one who has something to offer them rescue. Not as someone to just wait to see them burn. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this time in Revelation as we're getting ready to wrap up in the coming uh, week, Lord, with this study. I pray, Lord, that even though uh, much of this, Lord, as the believer looks at it, if they run the race, if they are... A believer, on the day that you bring this judgment, God, we will never let, never see this judgment ourselves. But God, this is important to us because that gives us an idea of what the importance, the severity, Lord, of sharing the gospel is for a lost and dying world. God, I pray that this church, we won't give up on those who are living uh, lifestyles contrary to your word. God, who are living in an abomination to you. God, don't let us give up, shy away, turn away, or get angry at them. Help us to channel our anger, our frustration, all towards the sin that the enemy brings to their doorstep. Lord, I pray for those that will do spiritual warfare, Lord, in their prayer closet for the unsaved in their in their workplace, in their own families, Lord, in their community, in their neighborhood. Lord, I pray this church would be a soul-winning church. Continue to see, see those saved, Lord. Help us be aware of our surroundings, God. We not for a moment forget that you're placing people around us daily, just, just waiting, hoping that we'll take what you have taught us. Lord, turn around and use it to bring the salvation message to someone who is lost and dying. We just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.